is where we got to today. So if you've got a Bible or you've got scripture on your phone, get it ready. I'm not going to give you every scripture this morning. We're going to go through a few more that aren't on the screen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the Apostle Paul sitting in prison, writing letters, and this is one of the letters he wrote to people he hadn't even seen, the Christians at Colossae. We pray that as we open up the scripture again today, your word, inspired by your spirit, will speak by the spirit to our hearts and bring understanding and uh, conviction and drive and an ambition to do well and glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're getting near to the end of Paul's letter, written from prison, as I said, in praying. These are almost his final instructions in this letter. Of course, it's a parallel letter with the book of Ephesians, which was written to a group of churches, including the Colossians, and including the Ephesians, and including the Laodiceans. And so now he says, in, this is talking about being devoted to prayer. This is where it starts. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful as you pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word. That's a door for the gospel, isn't it? An open door for the word. There's a schools ministry in Harlow called Great Open Door. Sadly, when you abbreviate, that becomes G-O-D, which I'm not sure they thought about. But anyway. um, so, Great Open Door, and he, this is where it comes from. An open door for the word. And other scriptures where Paul talks about an open door. So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may declare it clearly as I should. Paul devoted himself to prayer. And now he's in prison. That's just about all he does all day, apart from writing some letters, some of which we've got preserved by the Holy Spirit to this day. He's in prison, in chains, not for the first time in his life, uh, not for the last time in his life. He's released from this imprisonment, but later ends up in prison again in Rome. Unable to travel, or to teach at the evening gatherings of believers in their homes, because all churches met in homes in those days, or debate in public spaces, or go to the synagogue and debate there on a, as the Sabbath. So what's he going to do all day? Well, pray. That's what Paul did. Friend, friends who visited him in prison were drawn into those prayer times, as well as discussions together, and who, who, who could write, Timothy or somebody, or Luke, who could write the letter for him, would, he would dictate and they would write the letter for him. And prison's prayer meetings were held in, usually in the presence of peop, other people, including Roman guards. Interestingly, in one of, his later, one of his letters as well, he talks about Caesar's household. Some of them had become believers. Maybe some of the people who heard Paul praying and writing letters became believers. Maybe some of his guards became Christians. Paul also was never ashamed to ask for the prayers of his friends. He wasn't, I'm a man of God, you know, and I'm praying for you. He's like, pray for me, brothers. Stand with me in these things. Support me in these things. He was humble enough to ask for prayer. And he does it in a number of his letters. So here Paul writes to Christians at Colossae, and so the Holy Spirit also speaks these words to us today, that we're to, vote, to devote ourselves to prayer and be both watchful and thankful. Let's think about being watchful, first of all. To watch is to be awake, alert, right? 
In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus turned to the disciples, Matthew 26, 40, and he found them sleeping after he was, he was praying and agonizing there in the garden. And he said, were you not able to keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray that you will not enter into temptation to trial. For the Spirit, I like a capital S on that word there, the Holy Spirit is willing, but the flesh, human nature, is weak. Pray, watch and pray that you will not enter into temptation, into trial, into testing. But interesting, one of the temptations is to be proud and to think to ourselves, because we prayed, we're immune from danger. Nothing's going to bother us. It's the Lord's keeping we need. And interestingly, in the pattern prayer that Jesus gave us, Jesus taught us to pray for his keeping. Lead us not into temptation, to trial, but deliver us from the evil one. Another temptation is we can become so self-satisfied, boasting people, we pride ourselves on our praying or our positive confessing, you know, that we're, hmm, I'm afraid, I'm a prayer. Be careful, we can enter into temptation. Do you know pride was the first sin? And it wasn't in a human being, it was in an angel. Satan's heart was filled up with pride. And he challenged and rebelled against God. And he led Adam and Eve to do the same, to challenge and rebel in pride against God. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one, including things that make us like him, like being proud and boastful. Watch. Be alert. Peter says, watch, be alert, for your enemy goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Be alert. Don't think... You're in your little cocoon and you're absolutely fine and nothing's ever going to bother you. All sorts of things can come at any time to us. And we need to be watchful and prayerful, ready, for we live in a world of danger. Be thankful is the next one. Be thankful. Four times already in this letter Paul has talked about thankfulness. And he writes about it in a number of his letters. Above all, he says in one place, be thankful. Thankfulness keeps our attention upon the Lord. You see, when he gives us something good, we can get so involved in enjoying it, we forget to say, oh, thank you. You know? How many of you have taught your kids to say please and thank you? I hope you have. Good. Do you think the Father would like us to be thankful? Yeah. We need to work on gratitude. We are by nature ungrateful and unthankful. That's why we have to teach it to our kids. So we need to exercise ourselves as adults, as Christians, as believers, in thankfulness and gratitude, firstly towards the Lord and then also towards others. Thankfulness is uh, too rare. People seem to be full of themselves and full of their achievements and full of their possessions, yet we have nothing except it came from heaven. Nothing. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of light with whom there's no variable and that's no shadow of turning. Every good thing that you have came from him. So come, you thankful people. All right? 
Let's, give, let's rehearse ourselves. Let's, let's engage ourselves in prayer and watchfulness and thankfulness. And we're to pray with thanks. Pray with thanksgiving. We don't come imploring and, oh, I, I really, really, really need this, Lord. I really, really, really need this, Lord. You know, it's like we come and say, Lord, I thank you. you, you you're going to hear my prayer for this. I thank you that you're going to answer me. You're going to answer me in your wisdom. It might not be today. It'll be at the time you say. And it may not be exactly what I'm asking for, but you'll do what's the right thing and the better thing. Yeah? Thankfulness, thankfulness. This is all about here, this is what Paul's leading up to, an open door for the gospel. An open door for the gospel. When Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch after their first missionary journey, they reported, reported to the church at Antioch that all that God had done for, through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. In fact, God had opened the door of faith to Gentiles when he sent Peter to, to a Roman centurion. And Peter, at that moment, had the, key of the keys of the kingdom and he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. He was God's instrument of doing that at a point in time. But this was now happening across the Gentile world. And, but the book of Acts and Paul's own letters tell us that Paul didn't always find doors open. All right? Acts 16. After the Holy Spirit had prevented from, th- from speaking the word in the province of Asia, going further into the the, the, the northern part of the Greek-speaking world there, they travelled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They came to the border of Mysia, and they tried to enter Bithynia, which is the very north coast of Turkey. From there, they wanted to get across the Black Sea and see these pagans that the Romans called the Scythians. They were like hairy and wild and, you know, you know ogres live there kind of thing, you know, on the map, you know. But Paul wanted to go there with the gospel. But the spirit of Jesus would not permit them. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, which is northern Greece, standing and pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. As soon as Paul had seen the vision, we got ready to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul didn't walk around with a neon sign telling him to go here next, Paul. Go here next, Paul. He tried, he pushed. But some doors didn't open, but the Lord opened other doors in his sovereignty. God is sovereign. The Spirit may forbid us an opportunity and open another. Satan may resist a door opening, but he can only do so because the Lord allows him to. Jesus said to the church of Philadelphia, I know your deeds, it's Revelation 3, see if I've placed before you an open door which no one can shut. Another place, another church, he says, I, I have the keys and I open what I want to and I close what I want to. You only have a little strength that you've kept my word and not denied my name. So Paul urges people to pray for open an open door or open doors to the gospel because it's God who opens those doors. Not it's human effort. God opens those doors. So we pray to him, Lord, open the right door. Create the opportunity. Make the possibility. Now, that may not be always in a time of prosperity. It's sometimes a cold wind of difficulty and trouble that blows a door more open to the gospel, whether in a community or in an individual. The mission of God, you know, is not to make us all more comfortable, but to bring us back to himself through his son, to find real joy, real comfort, real peace in him. Paul doesn't even ask them to pray that he's released from prison or that his sufferings and trials end. His only concern, the only thing that matters to Paul, is the gospel. And what he says next is still 
all about the gospel. My friends, I, I, I trust that we are gospel people. And let me explain that to you. I, I do trust and hope that this church, Lighthouse, meeting in this building, is a gospel church that we are preaching about Jesus. And our songs are not only gospel in flavor, you know, in the kind of the way the music goes, but they're, they're Christ-centered and, and gospel-centered. And that I know that, you know, we've talked about that so many times together. Our worship leaders are very tuned into that, you know. We don't sing songs about us, we sing songs about him. It's really good, and I appreciate that, that focus week by week by week. But, you know, there's a point later on this morning when you and I go home and when we've kicked around the house a bit and we've had a rest and whatever, we get up and we go to work and we go into the world tomorrow. Now, tomorrow, am I a gospel person? I may go to a gospel church. I may hear the gospel. I may sing the gospel songs. I may, if you're like me, you may even really like gospel music, you know. But am I a gospel person. In other words, does what I believe on a Sunday matter just as much the other six days of the week? And is the life I'm living centered on Jesus and the good news of Jesus? Hmm. What Paul says now is all about the gospel. First of all, he tells us to walk, which is live, act, in wisdom. Colossians 4 verse 5. Act or walk wisely towards outsiders. You're a Christian. You're a gospel person. They're not Christians yet. Act, walk wisely among them. Redeeming the time, which means making the most of every opportunity. Both this and the following instruction about the way we speak are instructions about how we present a credible witness to those who are as yet unbelievers. A credible witness. Something which is believable. Not just what we say. It doesn't start with what we say. Notice this. It starts with how we are. Who we are. What we do. How we walk through life. Behaving wisely and speaking graciously. The parallel is in Ephesians. A bit longer. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, how you live, how you behave. Not as unwise, but as wise. Redeeming the time, same phrase, because the days are evil. You might want to say yes, amen to the days are evil, but that's not the main point. How you walk in evil days really matters. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless indiscretion. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And so Paul goes on. We're to be taught by wisdom, wisdom from heaven, wisdom from God, how we can live in this world without just being like the world. We are, after all, the light of the world and the salt of the earth. We shine as lights in a dark place, and our influence on people around us presents at least some of the evil and corruption of this world. That's what salt does. It's not just to make tools taste better. In both letters, Paul says, redeeming the time, buying up the opportunity. I'm sure it literally means buying up the opportunity. The words mean buying everything that's available. You know when the the shelves go empty on the supermarket because people have bought it all up in a panic. Yeah? We're to be buying up every opportunity 
to be a credible witness to Christ and his gospel. Whether it's an opportunity to demonstrate or to speak of your trust in Jesus, buy it. Take it. But before people will listen to what we want to say, they are watching how we behave. And they are perfectly entitled to do so. To look for evidence that this thing really is real to you and is really working for you. How we walk comes before how we talk here. So then, now Paul moves on to our words, our speech. Speak wisdom. Colossians 4 verse 6, Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Grace seasoned with salt. Grace seasoned with salt. The dear old Duke of Edinburgh, who's uh, now with the Lord, we believe, he's a believer, but he was renowned for his salty speech. He could let fly with some pretty ripe language at times, especially to people who bother him like reporters or wherever else. And uh, it's called salty speech because it, it's referring to that of a sailor. Sailors, sailors at sea were men together and used to just call each other all sorts of things all day long, you know. Salty speech. Well, it's not that kind of salty speech, okay? Not that kind of salty speech. It's salt that stops the rot. It's salt that brings, you know, that you put salt on a wound. I know it hurts, but it's salty. Truthful, but but it's, it's, it's resisting disease. It's resisting infection. It's stopping the rot. Here's the parallel of Ephesians. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up the one in need and bringing grace to those who listen. And Paul there's not talking about just to Christians. He's talking about we're we to be the same with people who aren't yet Christians. Speak to them to build them up when they're in need. Bring grace to anyone who will listen. Jesus tells us we're the salt of the earth. It's by our being wholesome, helpful, gracious, speaking People speaking the truth, that we impact the world. Season, I'm going back to season with salt. Season with salt, not sugar. Yeah? yeah? It's deceivers who sugar you up. I'm so nice, I'm going to tell you the truth here. They make it all very palatable, all very believable, but it's all about cunning, guile, and Sugary speech. We have, some as, we have as Christians some unpopular truths to tell, things that people don't really want to listen to. But we need to say them graciously. All right? Speaking the truth in love. We need to be gracious in proclaiming the truth. So that, Paul says, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That's interesting, to know how to answer everyone. You see... No one of us commissioned to be up on our soapbox and lambasting people all day with the gospel. You know? So, you know, that, you know that, that's a big turn-off, isn't it? You know, you know. There's a reason we, not many of us go out there and do open-air preaching at this, because a lot of people are turned, more turned off by it than, than gather. So we need to find a way of finding a get, get to people hear us, you know, and the, the new ways of doing that, perhaps. Paul writes this, Peter writes this, sorry, but if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. 
Do not be shaken. It's an interesting comment to make when the, when the news is all full of bad news, isn't it? Do not fear what they fear. Do not be shaken. But in your heart, sanctify Christ as Lord. Set him apart in your heart. Jesus is Lord. Always be prepared to give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. That's the, that's the nearest it gets in the scripture to say, tell everybody the gospel. It says, when they ask you, be ready with your answer. Why will they ask you? Because they've watched you. That's why they're going to ask you. Because they've watched you. They've watched the walk. They're ready to listen to some of the talk. But respond, next carries on, with gentleness and respect. Now you've got to find a way of being willing to go to the gospel which has the truth in it, the truth of Jesus, the truth about our need as lost people, and yet it has to be respectful in dealing with the person you're dealing with. Clearing, keeping a clear conscience so that those who slander you may be put to shame by your good behavior in Christ. Notice that? Whatever they say about you, they can't deny that you're an upright person living a good moral life. You are gracious. You are truthful. They can't say a, word, a bad word about you, really, except for the, the things you're doing which are right. It's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Let me just talk a bit about our testimony. You see, one size doesn't fit all. You know, I, I know people used to have the four spiritual laws or they'd have a little, little routine and they have a little script, but they, they give that out and they always say the same thing. But we need wisdom from the Lord how to answer individually, knowing wisdom from God how to deal with people as individuals, which means we've got to do some talking with them. Jesus did not have the same discussion with a Samaritan woman that he had with Nicodemus, did he? He had wisdom how to deal with those two people very differently. And he, he had question and answer with them. It was a discussion, not a monologue. Jesus dealt with people personally. In communicating good news to people, we need to ask questions, listen to their answers, respond, seeking the Lord, ask, praying in our, inwardly, you know, seeking the Lord for grace and wisdom and insight and compassion. Let me read a bit from that commentary I've been using, study. He quotes, first of all, from Bishop Lightfoot, who is a great Bible scholar. Not only must your conversation be opportune as regards the time, you've seized the right time, you've seen the opportunity, you've seen the open door. It must also be appropriate as to the person. And then uh, Wilson goes on, no effective witness is given to Christ by rattling off a stereotype testimony because this completely ignores the fact that each person has his own special needs. And it's worth noting that Paul constantly adapted his speech to his audience. And this testimony is not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Four times, five times in the book of Revelation, we read the testimony of Jesus or the testimony about Jesus. And three other times in the book of Revelation, the word testimony is used about the witness of the believers to what? To their faith in Jesus. So a testimony is not a rehearsal of all your past life, which sadly can get into reminiscing rather than regret sometimes. You know? Oh, I used to be, you know, I used to do. Really? And have you really repented of that? <laughs> you know, or is it a fond memory? 
No, we are testifying to Jesus, to his goodness to us, to his death for us, his resurrection for us, his, his appearing in heaven for us. We're, we're talking about him. That's what is shaping our lives. We are gospel people shaped by this good news of Jesus Christ. And by the way, that old life you should regard as dead and buried. And don't go digging it up again. All right. Paul writes to Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but set an example for the believers. And this applies outside of that as well. In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. You carry that same example out into the world, they're going to see a Christian, they're going to see a gospel person. To Titus, he writes, another young pastor, in everything, show yourself to be an example by doing good works. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and wholesome speech that is above reproach so that anyone who opposes us will be ashamed to have nothing bad to say about us. Yeah? Oh, they can criticize you because you're a Christian, but they really don't have any grounds to criticize you. Because what you're doing and the way you're living is good. It's living in the grace of God for the glory of God. I wanted to listen to some scriptures about the wisdom we need with our speech. Uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are full of it. Here's just a smattering. Listen to these. I'm not going to give you all the references it would take too, too much time. Proverbs, first of all, there's one from Ecclesiastes at the end. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Anybody experienced that? You've been soothed by someone speaking to you? And you've been crushed by someone speaking to you. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, but not so the hearts of fools. The wise of heart are called discerning, and pleasant speech promotes instruction. Understanding is a fountain of life to its possessor, but the discipline of fools is folly. The heart of the wise man instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. Apply your mind to my knowledge, for it is pleasing when you keep them within you, and they are constantly on your lips. said before that when it talks about that the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, instructing one another, that's not just for the pastor to do. We're all to be doing that. Let the word of God so fill you that you're overflowing with words of encouragement and reminding people about scriptures to encourage them and, 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 and help them as you go along. Last one from Proverbs. A word fitly spoken, spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Okay? Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. And one from good old Ecclesiastes. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. Now Paul knew that verse when he was writing, writing this letter. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of his talk is folly. That's where he starts, not even where he gets to. And the end of his speech is evil madness. Yet the fool multiplies words. Our works, the way we live, and our words measure us. And we're accountable in the end for all our works and all our words. And we can do a great deal of good in this world, honoring the Lord by how we act and how we speak. Wise words, gracious words, truth-filled words, seasoned with salt, not sugar. 
And a whole pattern of behavior that illustrates this gospel, we believe. We're following Jesus, learning to become like him. And do you know what? You say, yeah, but they see when I mess up. Well, they can see when you apologize for messing up too. You say, do you know what? I shouldn't have done that. As a Christian, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. That's, that, I, I shouldn't have done that. Not just sorry because you saw me do it, but I'm sorry that I did it. I'm going to go and say sorry to God too. I mean, that would be, wow. This guy, he admits his mistakes. That's, that's something, isn't it? Different from many. The very beginning of the, the letter, go back there for a moment, Colossians 1. Paul prays for them to live in the wisdom supplied by the Holy Spirit. There's Paul in prison, in his prayer meetings, and he writes this. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom, wisdom from the Spirit and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and that you may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have foolish endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. That is a seven-day prayer, not just for Sunday mornings. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. God calls us by his grace, to live by his grace, for his glory. And part of that is bearing this gospel witness, this gospel testimony, in walk and then in talk. And the talk is often prompted by the way we are living and behaving, where people ask us questions. And when they ask a question, there's the door, take the opportunity. And explain to them why you're a Christian, why you trust in Jesus, and what he means to you. Remember, this is our calling for the whole of our life. Some of us are more evangelistic than others and we, we see opportunities all the time and we, I don't include myself and I want to know people are. Others of us need to be reminded that this person's talking to me and, and we're talking about life and do you know what? I could just mention to them, well, actually, I'm a Christian. So my, my approach to life is different. And my, the way I look at life is very different. And I, I, I try by God's help to live a different sort of life. God calls us to live by his grace for his glory and to be examples of and explainers of this good news. And Paul said to the Colossians, the one thing I want you to pray, he didn't ask Get me out of prison. Take me out of this suffering. Give the, let there be open doors. If the doors weren't going to open anymore for Paul, okay. But let their doors be open for people to go. Let the doors be open. We need to be praying for the doors for the gospel to open into many nations of the world still, many peoples of the world still. Be praying for those doors to open. Why is that important? Because when the nations have heard the good news, then the end can come. This gospel of the kingdom must be preached in every nation under heaven, and then the end will come, Jesus said. So we should be 
praying, maybe some of us should be going to those unreached people groups and then we're getting closer to the day when we will see Jesus. Pray for open doors. Pray for opportunities in personally, for us as a church, for the nations of the world, for those who are going to the nations of the world, that every people, tribe, language group under heaven will hear and understand in a way that they can understand. It needs to be communicated appropriately, explained into their culture, this gospel that is the power of God to save everyone who believes. Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, honoured be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom advance from household to household, community to community, nation to nation, people group to people group, breaking into new language groups, scriptures being translated into more languages, people communicating the gospel in their language to, to people. Let it happen, Lord, across the globe. Let the gospel increasing expand. We live in a time when travel is difficult because of COVID. All sorts of obstacles are set in a way. Paul knew about all sorts of obstacles, and yet he prayed fervently, daily, Lord, open door, please, open doors. We pray that the gospel may triumph in this land. Once was a more believing nation than now. Oh God, open the door of this nation, the doors of people's hearts in this nation again to the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus through your good news. Lord, fill our hearts with your good news. Let us be gospel believers, gospel singers, but also gospel livers. People who don't switch off when it's time to go to work or to engage with the family, but are still carrying this treasure in earthen vessels. We don't always get it right. We make mistakes. Our mouths and tongues slip up at times. But Lord, you have put your treasure in these weak, faulty pots. Because then all the honor, everything, anything we do and every wise thing we say, the honor goes to you. <laughs> the supplier of every good thing, Father. Who inspires us by the Spirit and equips us by his wisdom and gives us grace in our hearts and compassion towards the eyes around us. All the glory belongs to you. Before we break bread, can I take a moment and invite you again, if you've not ever invited the Lord Jesus to come and overtake you, submit your life to him today. Don't give him a bit of your heart. It won't work. <laughs> I'll say it as briefly and as uh, uh, straightforward as that. It doesn't work. Give him all that you are and all that you have and say, Jesus, I belong to you now. Please come and overshadow my life and lead me and guide me how to follow you, how to become more like you. Simple as that. Just pray that prayer. Take a moment now, please, to do that before we break bread together. Submit yourself to him. You don't have to get sorted out first. He'll start the sorting out when you submit yourself to him. The process will begin. The Holy Spirit will begin to work in you. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll challenge you. He'll encourage you.
Thank you, Lord Jesus.